really good to see you guys. Welcome to Fathom Church. If this is your first time, we really hope you just uh, find yourself at home. If you're joining us back and you haven't been with us for um, a little while, it's good to see you. If you've been out of town and you're back in, it's good to see you guys. And um, it's just really good to be back at Fathom Church. You guys excited to be here? I love it. I love it. Um, this is really a place to grow in faith and family. So if you're searching for a home, this is, this is a good one. This is a good one. I'm biased, but I know it's a good one. Um, so it's really good to see you guys. If you were here with us last week, we got started on a new journey and really just a new series called Names. And really looking at these incredible stories, there's 14 times throughout Scripture that Jesus or, or that God chooses to change someone's name. And I think there's a lot of reasons he, he does it. And what ultimately we're, we're hoping to get out of this series is that we're all in this journey to further understand our identity and purpose on this earth. Many of us have asked us, what am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I hate what I'm doing? What am I supposed to be doing next? We've all asked these questions. We've all kind of dealt with our identity and our purpose in this life. And um, we're really kind of boiling it down to this simple thought is that our identity, our purpose unfolds as we pursue Jesus. As we do that, as we go on this journey with him every day, it's just a, a little bit more revealing. And, and there's, sometimes we'll go for a long time and not really feel like we have answers, and then all of a sudden something will unfold as a part of our purpose and our identity. And so we got started by looking at the story of Abraham last week and how God changed his name. We're going to jump back into a little bit of Abraham's story and really his family story here in just a second. But let me just start by telling you, I am my father's child, like my, my dad. Like I am my dad's child, but I'm also my mom's child. Like I've got, I've got it all from both of them. Anybody else have like a, a mix from both sides of your family? Anybody? And you guys like heavy on one side, you're like, you feel like you just got, you're, you fit in with that family, you don't fit in with the other. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We, we all kind of fit in, into different categories and all of us come from different family backgrounds. Some of us have been raised by our grandparents. Some of them, uh, some of us in the house are, are blended families. Some of us um, have come from single parent homes or, or you're raising in a single parent home right now. All of us come from different journeys when it comes to our families. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm a mix of, of both of my folks. And I mean, I've got the good stuff from my mom. I got my mom's tender heart. I like if you ask my wife, I don't know that she would agree with that all the time. Um, but I think I got my mom's tender heart, and I got her sarcasm, and I think I got my dad's work ethic, but I, you know, and my dad's creativity, but I also know that I got my dad's flat feet and his sweet tooth, and I, I got, and, and maybe both of their stubbornness. I got, I got that gene. Anybody get that gene? Anybody get that gene? It's time to be honest. We're in church. Okay. Um, yeah, and I got those things, and from my mom, my mom, you know, she's got sarcasm, she's a little bit of a skeptic, and so I got that from her too. We get these things from our family history, and many times we'll talk about, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly in church, you know. Many times we don't, but many times we do, but often what we, we don't do is when we talk about our baggage, when we talk about stress or um, anger or abuse or anything that we're dealing with at the current stage, we'll talk about those things in church, but often we will not trace it to its root. We won't trace it all the way back to where that thing began. We won't where that's coming from and why this is happening. So today we're going to kind of do a journey of tracing and finding the root. And this is an important thing. This is a really important thing because not only is it going to um, really affect our personal in the present, but it's going to affect our families in the future. And so we're going to talk about families past, present, and future today. Uh, you know, it's summer, it's hot, we've talked about that already, I've talked about that already, and it means when it rains a lot, there's a lot of weeds growing. Does anybody have a yard that you, like, have to take care of weeds? How many of you guys hate pulling weeds? Okay, 
It's not a fun thing to do. No one, like, it, it's like one of those things, like anything but pulling weeds. I have to pull a lot of weeds. We just got a new house in our yard. Really, we, we live in, in a nice neighborhood, and everybody around us, like, has, like, beautiful, pristine, like, St. Augustine grass. And ours is basically weeds that we cut really nice <laughs> to try to blend in with everybody else. Anybody know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what our yard is. And when you pit, pull weeds, you have to go to the root. You ever see somebody, like, you know, try to pull the top of it? You're like, you're wasting your time. That's not going to do anything. It'll be up and bigger tomorrow. So you have to get to the root. My, my poor wife, um, uh, the, we have, like, this brick pathway that leads up to our front door. And she gets tired of, like, these weeds growing up through there. So, and, and she's, I, I got this wrong last week, seven months pregnant. <laughs> I, I said six months. I, I need to know how old my baby is right now. Um, <laughs> And uh, she'll get out there, she gets so tired of it, and she's trying to pull these weeds through the brick pathway. And it's so hard because you can't really get your fingers down between the bricks to pull the root out, so you just pull the top. And everybody knows that really, can be really frustrating when the weed just grows back more the next day. And some of us will use like the topical sprays to weeds. You guys know what I'm talking about? But you spray those things on. But really, I gotta tell you, those things are a scam. It's just fertilizer in there and it just grows faster. So you have to buy more stuff. It's just a big scam. I told you, my mom is a skeptic and I got that. Um, no, but the thing with a weed is if we don't pull them out, it ruins a beautiful garden. It suffocates the life out of something that has beauty and purpose and, and brings enjoyment and pleasure to life. And it'll choke out a garden. The same is true of our lives, the good, bad, and, and really focusing on the bad and the ugly that have come from our, our family histories and even our personal histories. If we don't pull the weeds out, they're going to choke out the life. They're going to suffocate the life of not just ourselves now, us emotionally and spiritually and sometimes even physically, but they're going to suffocate the life out of, out of our, our kids and our kids' kids. Those things will be passed on. And we're going to look at a story today and trace the history. Last week we looked at Abraham. And so this week we're going to really kind of make a journey to his grandson and see some of the things that Abraham kind of made mistakes on. We kind of see some, some heritage kind of being passed on, some, some mistakes that keep being passed on. Some things might surprise you that happen in the story, okay? So let's dive in. And so um, if you were here with us last week, I, I, when you look at the Old Testament, it's hard to just start at like chapter 24, okay? So if you ever, you know, jump in into a, attempt to read the Bible, don't ever jump in, especially in the Old Testament, don't jump in in the middle of the chapter or like the middle of, the, of a book. When you go to Genesis, go to Genesis 1. When you go to Exodus, go to Exodus 1. Otherwise, chapter 24 is not going to make as much sense to you. You guys ever look at the Old Testament and you're like, that doesn't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know what's going on here. So it's really important on context. So in this journey, last week, this week, we're looking at Old Testament. So give me a break for a second while I kind of dig up the history because it brings everything to light, okay? Last week I took a little longer to do that. This week I've condensed it down. We're going to do this really fast. So you guys good listeners? You guys with me? Okay, so we were beginning to look at at the story of Abraham. Just to catch you up if you weren't here last week. Abraham uh, married this woman named, or his name was Abram, and he married this woman named Sarai, and they couldn't have kids, and they were having uh, issues having kids, and uh, God ends up changing their name. God gives them this promise that, you know, they're going to have many descendants, and and later on, after he has this face-down moment, he calls them the father of nations. But earlier back in history, before God had changed the name to Abraham and Sarah, those are two of the name changes, 
and called them the father and the mother of many nations, gave them this promise. Before that happened, they were on this journey, and Abraham got his, his wife Sarah, Sarai at the time, to lie about who she was because he was worried about what people would think about that, whether they would capture her, whether they would kill him and keep her. So it's kind of this whole history where he gets his wife to lie. So finally, um, you know, she begins to lose faith in that she's actually going to be able to have a kid. And so she ends up, you know, having her, her husband, you know, sleep with another uh, woman and to have kids. And they have Ishmael. And so later God uh, shows up and is faithful to his promise. And they have a son named Isaac. Okay, so Isaac is Abraham's son. Isaac marries Rebecca, and guess what? Almost the exact same story in so many ways, because not only do they have issues getting pregnant like his mom and dad, Isaac's mom and dad, Abraham and Sarah, they have issues getting pregnant, same kind of genetic things. Some of you guys are battling some of that, and for those of you that, that are, are going through that in your life right now, there are so many faithful promises through scripture to you, and I, I just want to speak that to you, because I know so many couples go through that, and I just want to tell you, God is faithful, and do not give up on the promise that God gives you. Sometimes that happens in ways we don't expect, but God is faithful, and Scripture promises that He is faithful. I don't know what that'll look like for your life, but know this much, God's faithful, okay? And and if He's faithful, there's no reason for us not to be okay. So just be encouraged. Scripture speaks to you, even what you feel like maybe an outsider. uh, Scripture includes you and and just uh, sees faithfulness to you, okay? So, um, so anyway, we see the same thing in Isaac and, and, um, and his wife, Rebecca, have trouble having a kid. Same scenario. They're, they're traveling through this thing, and he's kind of worried of what people are going to think about his wife. She's beautiful. Same thing with his mom. She was beautiful. They're worried they're going to capture her, this guy named King Abimelech. And so he does the same exact thing. He'd probably heard the story of how his dad got through a quote-unquote checkpoint in like an unsecure place or uh, a place that was kind of difficult to journey through. He heard about this, probably heard it down the line, and guess what he does? He has his wife lie in the same way, okay? And we're beginning to see some patterns, not just genetically and, you know, in, in that, but we see it actually in the, the a pattern of sin going on in their life. Abraham got his wife to lie, and now Isaac, their son, gets his wife to lie. Um, about kind of the exact same thing in the same exact way. And that's what we're trying to get to today. Families past, present, and future. These things pass down. When we think we're just doing something that's just no big deal, something, sometimes things are actually being passed down from gener- generation to generation and can ruin our lives. Now, I don't mean to make something big out of something that is seemingly small, but we all know that uh, there's a slippery slope there many times, okay? So uh, Isaac and Rebecca, now we're looking at Abraham and Sarah's kids. They're going to have a baby, Okay. And so they get ready to have a kid. Again, they're having um, issues getting pregnant, and this time they actually get pregnant, and she's pregnant with twins, okay? Crazy. You ever expect one, and then you get two? Trust me, it's probably crazy. We've, we've always thought, that would be fun, I think. Um, anybody a twin in the house? Anybody? Yes, awesome. It's probably fun life. Fun life? Yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, yeah, pretty good most of the time. Um, and so they have these, these two boys, and so they're getting ready for them to come out, and remember last week we were talking about how our first names, you know, parents these days take it really seriously and kind of look into their names. Remember this last week? Well, not so much in Old Testament. We often think like uh, biblical times are really like deep, you know, uh, names and they really thought out. I'm going to give them a biblical name so it'll be really spiritually significant. Well, they get ready to have these two boys and I think Isaac was just a really laid back dude and the first kid comes out and he's really hairy and uh, Isaac's like, 
uh, Harry kid, let's call him Harry. And so they call him Esau, which means Harry. Dad's just a laid back dude. They say, Harry, let's call him Harry. And so the next um, little boy comes out holding onto his brother's foot, like onto his heel. And he comes out, and dad's a laid back dude. He's like, a little heel grabber, let's call him heel. And so they call him heel. <laughs> they call him Harry and heel, Esau and Jacob. These are the two brothers. They're very simple, I guess, minded. Whatever came out, it just kind of went with that name, I guess. And so anyway, wrapped up in their identity was one that he was hairy. Some of you guys that are, are hairier out there, you probably had maybe insecurities or maybe you've been strong about being hairy. And if you've ever been, um, you know, feel like you're a real burly person, I mean, you can have kind of both things. But wrapped up in our identity sometimes is our, is our name and the meanings behind our name especially at this time. So let's look a little bit at the story of Esau and Jacob before we really lock into the text we're going to be at today. So Esau and Jacob, two brothers, and there's two things that we kind of need to know that go on in their history before we jump into Genesis chapter 32. One is that one day Esau was doing his thing. He was a hunter. He was kind of a daddy's boy. He was the kind of burly one that went out to hunt and everything. Jacob was more of a mama's boy. All the mama's boy in the house say, just me. Thanks for that, guys. Appreciate that. All by myself. <laughs> um, and, and so Jacob was a little more of a mama's boy. He was a really good cook. Stayed around the house. And so Esau uh, uh, goes out to hunt one day. Hunts for a few hours. Comes in and is starving. And I think he was kind of having the Snickers diva moment. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, it's 1130. And some of you guys will be like this in about 30 minutes. You guys will be like, I'm starving. Can we just leave already? Like, come on, man. 30 minutes. You know, whatever it is. And so he's kind of having a Snickers diva moment, walks in, and he's like, I'm famished, you know, dude, feed me, you're my brother, you've got this great meal, I can smell it. You know how it's even worse when you can smell something, or you drive by Krispy Kreme and the hot now sign, it's just hard to, hard to resist, right? And, and so it's kind of one of those moments, he's, he's made this great stew, and he's starving, he's like, dude, give me some, give me some. And you know how little brothers and little sisters can be, like, they're going to, if they have any kind of edge, they're going to, like, live it up, because, like, finally, you've been the big brother, now I've got something you want, now I'm going to take advantage of this, and so he wants the stew, and he's like, well, I don't know, he's like, come on, give me the stew, he's like, well, if you give me your birthright, and this is important to understand, because a birthright in this culture was when the father passed away, everything would be split between the children evenly, except for the oldest son. He would get double of what everyone else got. So this is kind of a big deal. This is like, all right, let's just imagine it was $20,000 you were getting left over, okay? You're getting left over. Okay, and then all of your siblings get, you know, 20000 except for the oldest. He's getting $40,000, and you'd be like, come on. It's not fair. We went through the same life, same parents. You love us equally, Right? And so he, he tricks them into this situation, and he gives them his birthright. He gives it up for a cup of stew. That's a whole message in itself. Um, but that's kind of the first thing. So he begins to despise his brother. He begins to hate his brother. Later on, Isaac, his, their father, is about to die. He's about to pass away. And, and Isaac is kind of going blind, a little bit senile, I think, at the moment. And um, uh, uh, he tells Esau, his son, he's like, look, I'm going to give you my blessing. Go out and get me a good meal go out, hunt for me a good meal. So Esau, of course, is a good oldest son. He's going to go out and get his dad a meal. So Rebecca, um, Isaac's wife, overhears this. And because Jacob's a mama's boy, she kind of loves Jacob more, which again, parents, okay, we'll, we'll skip the parent message. You get it. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rebe- Rebecca um, tells her son, Jacob, look, your dad's getting ready to like give his blessing. This was a big thing culturally for them. Uh, blessing to kind of take on the family, to take on everything. He already has the birthright. His brother's already despising him. She says, look, 
go cover yourself in wool, make your, you know, make your dad some good food, you know, he can't see real well, so you can fool him, so he goes in there, and he fools his dad, okay, he fools his dad, dad gives him the blessing, this doesn't mean a whole lot to us in this current culture, we're like, whatever, a blessing, like, whatever that means, but this was a big deal in their culture. It, it was a big sign of significance of, of a blessing to a father. It was something that kids would wait for. A, a son would wait for his entire life and for this moment that he has with his father, okay? And, and so he ends up blessing Jacob. Esau comes in and is ticked, as you can imagine. You know, Rebecca gets this, and she actually is like realizes, like, oops, I kind of did a boo-boo. I kind of made my kids fight with each other. He was mad at him already. Now it's about to get worse. And then... Esau says he's going to kill him. Rebecca sends Jacob. She's like, dude, go running. Your brother is literally about to kill you. And so go take off. You guys ever had one of those scenarios with your siblings? Like, it's, like murder could happen in the next few moments, okay? I can name literally hundreds of stories of when me and my brother went at it so hard. Like sticks were involved, large branches from trees, household objects were involved. We have a good relationship now. But I'm telling you back in the day, we, got, we were like 15 months apart, so we fought like cats and dogs. Um, I've never seen cats and dogs fight, though, so that's just a weird thing to me. So anyway, he says, I'm going to kill him. So he goes off, and he's like, I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob goes, all right, let's fast forward 20 years, 20 years in time, 20 years from them, still haven't talked to each other, still haven't seen each other. I mean, my heart just breaks sometimes for that. I mean, you ever felt like that loss of a family member? Maybe they're still living, but you just feel like they're, they're just, you're just so far it's kind of heartbreaking. I mean, you can just imagine, you've gone through these type of scenarios where you despise a sibling, you despise a parent or a friend at some point. You had issues, things went down, haven't talked in a long time, bridges were burned, people have kind of moved on. 20 years later, we pick up in Genesis chapter 20, or 32, and um, they're, they're kind of headed towards each other. They know this kind of time is meeting. Esau is heading towards him with 400 men, like 400 warriors, like headed to him with, with all of like everything that he has. And Jacob's there with his family. Jacob's now married two sisters. It's long historical, cultural thing. He's married two sisters that he worked like 14 years for these two sisters. So guys, would you, would you wait on her for seven years? Would you work hard? He did that for two women. And um, Leah gets pregnant really easy. Rachel has the same issue. Um, so remember, again, we're seeing something passed down. We're seeing Abraham had his wife lie. Isaac had his wife lie. They're all dealing with, with trouble having uh, children. And then now what? Rebecca, who was Isaac's wife, had Jacob lie. So the line is being passed down, and it's beginning to cause strife within their family. It's caused them all kinds of headaches throughout the years. So we pick up now. They're headed towards each other. In the first kind of bit of, of chapter 32, um, Jacob is sending all these cattle, and he's sending servants ahead and just trying to buy favor with his brother. Like, you ever try to, he's like paying him off, like, like he's the mob or something, paying his brother off, like, don't kill me. I mean, just get, those, get that emotion of kind of what Jacob's been going through for the past 20 years. Uh, not only thinking that, okay, he stole these things. He deceived his brother from, um, from what God had intended for him, what his dad had intended for him. Not only did he steal these things, but now he's afraid. He's afraid for his life. This line's gone on, and now uh, here we are in, in chapter 32, verses 22. We're just going to read the whole chapter out, and we'll come out and break this down. Okay, so he sends out um, his, his um, family ahead, which is what we'll see here. That night, Jacob got, got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the, the Jabbok. Uh, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So he sent everybody over in verse 25. 
uh, Jacob was left alone. And Say there. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is going to be important. J- Jacob was alone. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. Seems like a weird thing for a dude that's just standing out in the woods by himself, right? <laughs> um, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Uh, then the man said, let me go, it's, for it's daybreak. We've been fighting literally all night long is what's happened. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. Remember that. But Jacob, uh, then uh, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. You've heard that word before. You've heard that name, Israel, before. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name, but he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun arose arose above him as he passed Peniel. He was limping because of his hip. That was a serious touch there. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket, of uh, the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay, it seems like a little bit of an odd story. I mean, just for me, I mean, personally, I've always thought this was just kind of a a weird story. This is one of the times where God changes, one of the 14, God changes someone's name from Jacob to Israel. And and, and what we see here, uh, more than anything, is, is that there is a lot more going on than meets the eye. There is a lot more going on that meets the eye. How many of you guys have ever gotten a fight with a spouse, with a friend, with a coworker, and you realize later on that had nothing, like what were we fighting about? Most of the time while we don't know what we were fighting about because that was not the issue. The issue had nothing to do with the toothpaste cap, had nothing to do with your copies at work, had nothing to do with what time they came in. It had everything to do with what's going on at home, what's going on in your brain, insecurity-wise, everything that's going It's It's never usually about that. It's usually about a whole lot of other things that are going on whole lot of other things. So as we see this story, I think we've got to remember that. There's been 20 years here by the time he, he, he deceived his brother and has kind of taken what, you know, what he thought was his and, and kind of tricked him into this and all this tension and literally been running from his brother for 20 years for his life. If I told you someone is coming to your house to kill you today, <laughs> like someone's going to kill you and you live 20 years, you would still be scared. Like you would forget about it some days when you were just kind of caught up in life, but there'd be nights you were laying there like, are they going to show up tonight. This kind of fear he's been living with of his own brother. There's a lot of tension, and, and, and I think ultimately he's wanting to get to what God has for him. I think he has this pursuit. It, it's been, I mean, it, the promise was theirs. The promise was given. It was his grandfather's, and, and, his, and his grandfather's dad had set the destination where they were going, and God had passed this, and there's several moments throughout all this thing that I, I'm skipping through here and giving you history of is where Jacob has these moments with God where God reminds him that promise is yours. That this is where we're going. This is what I've promised for your family. This is, this is the, the, the purpose. This is the dream. This is where we're headed. 
And all the while, he's having these moments where he's just kind of battling internally. So we can see a physical thing that's going on here. We can see there's a lot more that meets the eye. And the scriptures say that he wrestles a man, but later it sounds like he wrestled God. So what, like, what was happening here? So it seems like there was an obvious, uh, obviously he hurt his hip, and, and unless like God just like did the pew, like zapped him or something. Um, there was a, a literal man there, and, and maybe it was like a, a, some type of angel that he was wrestling with, or, or maybe it was just a person. You ever have these like deeper kind of awakening moments where you're, you're kind of toiling with someone, and then all of a sudden you kind of begin to realize something about yourself? Yeah, You ever have these moments where you're so angry at God and you've just got all these things to say at him? And look, God's not scared of you being af- like angry at him. God's not afraid of, of us. Like, he's not afraid of like, what we can do. He has no reason to be. He loves us. And, and we've had these moments where we just kind of reach out and we're angry. And ultimately, we wrestle with something there. We're wrestling with God. And I think this is kind of a, a physical story about something that's going on there. And it's difficult to understand. But more than anything, I want us to ask this question. Why does he ask this man before he says, for you wrestled with man and you wrestled with God? Why does he say this before that's re- revealed to him of, you know, I won't leave. I won't stop wrestling you till you bless me. He says that before all this is, is known that you know, God kind of revealing himself. You've wrestled with God. You've wrestled with man. He says, bless me. I won't leave until you bless me. I've always thought this was a little bit prideful. I've always been like, dude, like God will bless you when he's good and ready. Just move on. I've always had this kind of thought about it. But there's something big about, like, I won't leave until you bless me. He realizes that the blessings that he deceived for the ones that he lied for, the family history, the things that have gone on, the things he's seen before him, those weren't satisfying. Those weren't good enough. And so when God changes his name, he needed a blessing from God, not just a physical man. That wasn't going to do it. He needed a blessing from God, and he just felt the spiritual turmoil and wrestling was going on even when it was with a person. And when God changes his name from Jacob, heal. Remember, his name means heal. Remember, how many things do you think has gone on through his brain throughout the years? That's probably why he was fighting so much for this birthright and for this blessing. And, and now his name's being changed from heal. Israel means God prevails. God prevails. And it's so easy to make our identity about us and where we pull and we grab and we do what we can to make the the ended goal that we think is supposed to happen, to make it happen. But I love that in the new identity, his name is God Prevails, and that it wasn't about you. And even though throughout the night you were wrestling and, and you made the man tired, the angel, God, whatever was going on here, you made him tired, ultimately God prevails. And, the, and he realizes that because it wasn't about the physical battle that was going on. It was about the spiritual battle that was going on. And many times we may be facing some things right now that's either come from our history, from our family history, some things that are going on between a person and maybe a coworker, maybe a family member right now. And we realize there's more than meets the eye in this situation. But more than anything, what we've got to realize is, is we, have a, we can change the trajectory of life for maybe not only this person, not only my own life, but for my family to come when we realize in humility that God prevails. And, and, and we get this question a lot because I, I think there's something we need to, to pick up on two things. First of all, he asked to be blessed. 
He asks for it, and he, he fights for it. So there's two things, ask for it and, and fight for it, okay? And so one of the questions we get asked a lot as a church is, do you believe in the sovereignty of God, and do you believe in free will? And to both of those, we say yes. Scripture supports sovereignty of God. It supports free will of man. And so we have to say yes to both those, because Scripture speaks specifically about those. And it's difficult to understand this. And I could, we could spend a series in very long long series arguing over these things, and that's not the purpose. This is a nugget, but I think it's important to understand here is that when we understand this life, we we both have to understand that that God is sovereign over all and there is free will, so we can ask for it and know that God can grant that, but we have to be willing to fight for it. How many jobs have you gotten staying at home and saying, God, just send me a job? I'm waiting, Lord. I'm patient. No, I I think there's this level where all of us get it. You've got to fight for those things you got to fight for those things. And, and so sometimes fighting means waiting and being patient. I think Jesus' fight was very passive-aggressive. He was very aggressive when he didn't speak. I was reading through um, Mark 15 and 16 this morning where, where Jesus was persecuted and went on trial, and he was silent. And I, I think that was the most aggressive and, and the hardest he was fighting probably in his entire life. Because <laughs> I'm sure he had plenty of words to say. <laughs> Jesus was never at a loss for words. He always had like sometimes just witty comments or the right questions that just sent everyone kind of packing and all the people who wanted to persecute him, they just kind of had to turn around and be like, you got us again. So there's this element that we have to ask for, we have to fight for. Let's look at two verses that that kind of talk about this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened open to you. Sounds pretty easy. For everyone who asks, receives. The the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's something, this element about asking and receiving, but there's another side of it that I think James brings up. James chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's two elements. I think there's a a drawing near. and, And so is God sovereign? Yes. Is there free will? Yes. Is God pursuing us? Yes. Are we supposed to be pursuing him? Yes. And my question is, we kind of look at the faithfulness to, uh, of God through this whole story. And let me just wrap that story for you a second. They end up meeting, and, and Jacob's still trying to buy his brother's love. He's like trying to buy favor. And Esau's like, I don't want your stuff, man. Just hug me. And he embraces him. 20 years. I mean, this is like an Oprah moment, right? <laughs> like, where was Oprah when we needed this moment to be captured on film? I mean, this is one of those moments, I mean, I can just imagine. Have you ever seen one of those, like, man, I, a couple of days ago, I, I saw this, uh, we were at my um, in-law's house, and I think, no, we were on vacation. I was watching ESPN, and it was this whole reel, it was right around 4th of July, on uh, soldiers. We've got lots of military guys um, in the house today, and I was watching this, um, watching this video on soldiers coming home to their families. Those get you every time, don't they? I mean, they, they get you every day. It was this whole reel, and like, I think Taryn's asleep, Beckett's asleep, and I've got the volume down, and I'm just watching it, and I'm just like crying, <laughs> like all in bed by myself, just crying. It was just 
so emotional, like, because they throw out the first pitch, and they take off the mask, and it's dad, and they come running. It's one of these moments that we can't get the image out of our brain of a brother hugging another brother after 20 years of just despising. And I think this is the Father's love to us, no matter how far you've been gone, no matter how, what wrong you, you feel like you've done or, or you have done to him, his arms are open wide, he embraces, he doesn't need your stuff, he needs you, he needs you. And, and that's what we see throughout the story is God's faithfulness. And here's another interesting thing to notice, is that Jacob is continued to be referred to as Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. So a few chapters down, they're continuing to call him Jacob. I think there's a, a sense of a reminder, I think he's, forgetting what God did. God reminds him. He's like, I changed your name from Jacob to Israel. And from there on, Jacob's no longer referred to as Jacob, and Israel's no longer referred to as Israel. Israel's referred to as a nation. It's referred to as a community of people, him and all of his kids. So it was the descendants of Israel. The promise that God had made to to Abraham had passed it down. And and even though all the junk was being passed down, uh, there there was a moment where God's love changed things. And, And if we're looking at the weeds in our life that need to be pulled out, that are choking out the gardens, that are suffocating the life out of us, we, we, we need to, to get a moment where we just pull those things out and realize that, that what God has for us and our family is greater than the junk that's behind. And it doesn't, it's not about what we bring to the table. It's about the fact that God prevails. God's purposes prevail. And so we've got to remember that. And so as we set this up, I, I want to close here in just a second. But before I do, I want to look at Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and bring this to such a practical level. Because I think sometimes in the Old Testament, this is um, a, a little bit tough for us to grasp the, the practicality of this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Easy enough, right, kids? We're all kids. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise. We've been talking a lot about promises. So that it may go well with you in that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I grew up understanding this. If you don't obey me, you will not live long. <laughs> Anybody else grow up with that understanding? Like, if you do not obey me, you will not live long. This is kind of the same understanding. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, children at that time were really treated like slaves in and of themselves. There was, there was no honor in a child. You know how now when you get together, family get-togethers, who goes first? Usually the kids go first. Okay, that was not the culture here. Culture, the kids kids were, were, were basically cattle at the time. So um, until they had that, that kind of rite of passage. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Continue on. We're going to read through this and come back to talk about this. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. I think this is just encouragement. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. I think this is something to us about employees that work for other people. Serve as if it's under the Lord. Serve wholeheartedly. Okay, and we'll get into more of this whole slave talk here in just a second. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever they do, whether they're slave or free. Continue. And masters, and this is revolutionary, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, there's no favoritism with him. This is huge. This is, we often can, I've heard people like, I can't believe in the Bible because, you know, it puts a stamp of approval on slaves and polygamy and all those things. Scripture doesn't put a stamp of approval. We see a, a journey that takes place from what was culturally acceptable, and, and we see Scripture reforming what is acceptable and what it means to be a community of God. And here, it's telling masters to serve their slaves. 
You're, you're telling me that was, that was like putting in a stand. It's telling you ought to serve wholeheartedly. You ought to treat them the same way they treat you. That's Jesus' revolutionary teaching. That's why they crucified him. He was a revolutionary. He wasn't just someone that came in like, hey, you guys are doing a great job. He was in there turning over tables and saying, look, life as you know it will leave you empty. Life that you know it when you make it about yourself will leave you empty when you learn to serve wholeheartedly. And we, let's change the paradigm. You know, fathers, don't just beat your children. Teach them and instruct them. He was changing the whole paradigm of life. And that's what we have to understand about Christian community and Fathom Church. And every single person in this room is that... We're, we're shaping culture. Our fourth core value is creativity. And it's not as much about expressing through the arts as it is about expressing Jesus into our communities. It's about God doing a new and fresh work through each of us. About God recreating what we know as normal to be biblical because it fulfills, it, it brings truth and reward and joy and peace to our life. So many amazing things. We've been talking a lot. There was a more that meets the eye. Let's continue. Just three verses here, and let me give you a couple of nuggets, and, and we're going to wrap. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The things we're talking about, sometimes weeds do not come up easy. Sometimes they do not come up easy, and it takes strength. Uh, many of you don't know this. When we first took over this property, uh, there was like these high bushes, and I think there was these like crepe myrtles like on the corners and they, they were just really overgrown. We just wanted to pull them out and just get a whole fresh bed of, of um, uh, landscaping in. And so when we did that, we literally had to get a truck. We were trying to like do this with like three guys. We had to get trucks and we're like breaking ropes over and over again. Some weeds are tougher to get out than others. Some plants are tougher to, to, to get out. The good, bad, and the ugly that we bring on, we have to evaluate and really move forward. We have to dig deep to the root and it takes power. It takes the strength of the Lord. Verse 11 and 12. Put on the, and Benaiah, if you'll come, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God. The rest of the chapter talks about this. Here's what I want to look at. For our str- struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the powers uh, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's three things we need to look at against the rulers, authorities, and powers, okay? This can be one of those frightening verses. You'd like say, What? we're wrestling against what this can be one of those things especially for us in the house that are new in our faith this can begin to press up and like get weird for us okay so i understand that so more than anything what i want you to grab a hold of is there's more going on than meets the eye there's a battle going on that we cannot see and if you literally look at the greek um wording and what here is the first one is arhei um, which means origin it means the beginning it means the beginning of rule of sin in this world It's meaning that what we're battling up against is not just people, it's not just cultural shifts. We're battling against sin. Sin that brings depravity, that brings hopelessness, that brings the things that we look on the news and we can't fathom. How could anyone ever do that? It's because of this. It's because what we're fighting against is is sin. It's evil in the world. Against, and we, we ask, God, why would you let this happen? Against the authorities. There's a, a second aspect here. And really the, the word is exousia, which means free will. It means choice. It means the freedom of choice. This is, there's, there's been a long line from the beginning that we have choice. Adam and Eve have choice. We have a choice today. So these are the things, these are the patterns that are going on. Arhe and exousia that is happening here in the powers of this dark world. That there's a ruler that, that's, that's fighting against us. 
And man, I know this is pressure points. I know this can be like, say, what? Like, this is getting a little weird for me, dude. Like, I get that. But there's got to be a moment in your life where you just sat there and you said, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why things could be the way they are. This is, this is why. And the second reason is because the church has not ripped up the weeds we need to rip up. It's choking the life out of our communities. It's choking the life. It's suffocating our families. I know this pushes up some, some, some pressure points for us. What we've got to grab onto is there more that meets the eye in your life, in your family's life. There's, there's, a, reason, there's a reason in our cars that the rearview mirror is this big and the front glass is enormous. You don't always be looking back. Don't always be looking back. It's time we just kind of get our eyes on the future, get our eyes on right now, what's right in front of us. Pull out the weeds as we go. Beat a new path for the next generation. Don't question why, what happened. I mean, you can question those things. You can wrestle with God, but it brings us to further and further understanding our identity within our family. That's why we're wearing our last names today. Because we understand our identity within our family, our responsibility to our community, whether it be at work or at school or at home. We understand our responsibility to beat a new path, to pull out the weeds and allow God to do a fresh thing there. And I know, I know this is pushing to some things that are deep, that sting. More than anything, it's time we focus on the future. These things can exhaust us. Pulling these roots can be exhausting. And it can be painful. But I would encourage you to do the wrestling. To do the wrestling. The wrestling's worth it. The wrestling's worth it because God prevails. I want you to stand with me if you want to beat a new path today. And we're going to say a word of prayer. They're going to lead us in an incredible song of just get the love of God. Know that you're accepted right where you're at. God loves you. We love you. We're glad you're here today. Let's pray together. I want to pray over your families. I want to pray over your families and your future. God, right now, we're all individuals, God. We, We all have different last names, God. We all have different first names, different... DNA codes, genetic codes, God. We have different color hair, different color eyes, different shoe sizes, God. We like different clothes, different music. We're all individuals. That's the beauty of how you've created us. But God, we, we're all in the same place this morning. Not just physically, but spiritually, God. We're, we need you. God, even the most prideful of us in the room, we need you. We don't realize it yet. God, I pray that you'd break that outer layer, God, where we think that we've got to fight for something. God, we think we've got to fight and, and work for the approval, God. But I, I just pray that we would just find the love of God, God, as Jacob saw Esau just embrace him and didn't want his stuff. God, I pray that we'd push aside our selfish desires that lead us to emptiness, God. We'd find ourselves in wholeness, realizing that God you prevail. You prevail. God, give us wisdom. God, give us peace, not just for the things that have gone on in the past, the things that have been passed down, the good, bad, and the ugly, but God, for the future, that you give us hope, plans to prosper us. God, we receive that. 
In Jesus' name this morning. Help us to receive your love. In Christ's name. Let's worship together.